you know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker. And my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, Tubi, and Amazon Prime. I'm Liz Banishaw. I'm a writer, director, producer who has directed two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life. And I'm currently in pre-production on my third, Best Friends Forever. I'm a producer's rep who used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative. And I'm really hungry. On this Thursday bonus episode, we're going to play the interview from episode 211 from May 2019 with director Justin Warren, who is a sweetheart. But also, he talks about making his first feature film and willing the movie into existence. We thought this was a nice pairing for Theo Brown because they both pulled their films together however they could and got them distributed on their own. After that, we play another round of You're the Expert. But first, you should check out our Patreon page before we get anywhere further. What is why? Why should they check out our Patreon page, Alric? Because it keeps our show going. Please go on. Yes, it keeps the show alive. It keeps us moving this thing forward and allowing us to do more special fun things for our audience because through your support. So that is why it's important. And you also get some bonuses. What are those bonuses? Pray tell. We don't know yet. We're, tell us what they are. Tell us what you want. And we will give you that as a bonus. We will bonus you with your bonus. Exactly. Do you want more swag? Would you like a hat or a shirt? <laughs> I'm thinking I'm miming, but I, there's no video. But yeah, let us know and we could maybe the, those will be things that we have oh, special just for patron, patrons only uh, in the future. That link is patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. Head on over there and also make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. But without any further bibble babble, here's our throwback interview with Justin Warren. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hey, Justin. So first off, Liz, can you tell us how you met Justin in the first place? Yeah, so um, I think I've talked about it on Making Movies is Hard, but I manage a fellowship with Sundance called the Creative Distribution Fellowship, and we get awesome filmmakers who submit, um, and it breaks my heart every time I have to say no to an awesome filmmaker, um, and Justin was one of those filmmakers. <laughs> <laughs> so a friendship born out of rejection, yeah. which is the wow. whole way, so... Yeah. That's funny. Um, so what was the process like does, for, for applying to your, your you know, fellowship? Is it like a deck that he sends in or like a bunch of papers and things? Or do you meet him in person first? Or like it's how a did... three-prong process. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's an application with lots of essays. And then the second round is screening the film. And the third round is getting like some muckety-mucks at Sundance to watch it along with us. And um, that's really fun. Uh, but I'm like, I'm like, what can I say on this podcast that won't insult <laughs> my workplace? No. Um, yeah. So it is an extensive process, and um, we saw the application from Justin, and we just like fell in love with his energy and his verve for getting his film out into the world. And then, lo and behold, Justin and I just started talking via email and. We're on each other's newsletters, and I recommend his newsletters to people actually um, sign up on his website. And then, yeah, and then when, Ulrich, when you were saying you were looking for some new guests, I thought he could be a good a good fit. Yeah, here we are. Awesome. 
So, Justin, um, before we get started into talking about uh, Then There Was Joe and all that good stuff, can you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself, like um, you know, who you are, what your background is? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, thanks for, for having me on the show. Um, my, uh, my The quick facts about me, um, I'm Justin. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, I picked up my first camera when I was like eight years old or so. My, my dad just had a camera lying around. He was like, do you want to play with this? And I started playing with it and I broke it numerous times and he had it repaired numerous times. Um, and he just supported me, uh, and sort of like was, I, I kind of really credit my father with like sort of distilling a love for film in me. So, um, that was most of my childhood. Um, I got my BA in theater at Hendricks college in Conway, Arkansas, which is like a super small liberal arts school of about like 1500 people. And when I was there, I, uh, I majored in, uh, theater and did mostly performance and playwriting. And so I had always been making films, uh, with my friends, like on the weekends growing up, but I didn't really know how like theater performance and, and movies sort of overlapped. And so after college, I like was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And so I, so my plan was like, okay, I'm going to apply to USC film school. I'm going to get rejected. And then I can say that I tried and I can move on with my life. And I, uh, and so my plan was to marry my college sweetheart and to move to Oklahoma city to like work at a gas company. Like that was my job. That was my, my plan. And uh, before I knew it, like I, I applied to, to film school and I kind of applied with like, like this weird little comedy film that I made. And like, I, most of my friends were like, there's no way you will ever get in to school like that <laughs> with a movie like that. And I was like, okay, well, it's cool. I'm, 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 I'm going for broke anyway. So I applied to school and, uh, we, my wife and I were like in the middle of planning our wedding. So I was, uh, at the time, like I, I was living in Arkansas and my wife was about to go to school in Oklahoma and in the middle of planning our wedding, I found out I got into film school at USC. And and this is how I knew that I married the right woman. Because she, she looked at me and she was like, babe, you have to go. There's no way that you can't go. And so uh, I basically ended up, um, we got married. And like less than six weeks later, I moved to LA by myself. And my wife moved to Oklahoma to to do her pharmacy degree. And, and I did school out here. And she moved out in like 2013 and we've been out here ever since. So how, how long were you in school with her being away from you? Uh, we were gone. We were apart for about two, two and a half years or so, uh, oh, wow. which was like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was intense, but it was like totally worth Man, it. Crazy. Um, yeah, and was it a yeah. two year degree at USC or did you do four years? Uh, I did the MFA three program. Years. So it was like, it was a three year. Yeah. I'm going to talk numbers for a second. Do you do a yeah, 546 yeah, yeah. or 547? What'd you do? Uh, yeah. So I, I did 547 twice. <laughs> That's what I did. Okay. And, and so like I edited a 547 and then I did sound on a 547. I did two 547s as well, but I directed the second you time. You did? Yes. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> Sorry. When you go to USC, this is how you talk. You just talk yeah. in numbers you and talk it's ridiculous. Yeah, Can you tell absolutely. us what a 547 is for us non-USC people? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So a 547 <laughs> is basically their documentary uh, production program. And so uh, like it's a it's a class of a bunch of people and you produce three documentaries in that class. And uh, all the all the students crew up in different uh, positions. There's like two editors, there's cinematographer, 
uh, director, producers, things like that. And you all kind of split up into your crews and, and you're all kind of making three different documentaries in parallel, uh, which is pretty cool. And so at the end of the, of the semester, there's like, you know, 20 minute documentaries that are like, most of them are super good. Yeah, Pretty say what you stuff. will about USC oh. as a film school. I think a lot of people actually have a lot of complaints about it. Uh, the documentary program is unsung, like the unsung hero of the school. It, it's fabulous. It is phenomenal. Like the best, the best, uh, especially for, for independent filmmaking, I, I don't think you can get better training than that. Okay, nice. So really quickly, when you graduate USC, just because, you know, I didn't go to film fancy film school. I went to SF State, did, you know, t- radio and television. SF State's but, top 10 film school, isn't it? It's still fancy. Is it really? I, well, I did, but I didn't do the film program. Whatever. I did the television program. Whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> anyways, I'm just curious, like what happened when you graduated? Did you, did you imagine, um, immediately get a job in film somewhere? Like what did you end up doing? <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Uh, so basically it's, it, I, I felt like graduation was kind of just like, like somebody handed me a piece of paper and then I just jumped off of a cliff. That's kind of what (laughs) it it felt like to me, uh, to some degree. Uh, but it was, it was like, it was terrifying, but like, I, I actually kind of ended up landing somewhere like right out of school. I was working as an assistant editor for, uh, Tremolo Productions with, uh, Morgan Neville, uh, who, who directed 20 feet from stardom. Yeah. That's a that's a and great so movie. I, yeah, yeah. I, w- I didn't work on that film. I wish I did. But oh, okay. um, but like I was working on uh, some Barbara Streisand stuff and like cutting some some films for Barbara Streisand's uh, album called Partners, which came out a few years ago. And uh, and like ever since then, I've just been doing freelance like assistant editing work whenever I can get it. And I've been like making like jumping around helping my my friends make their films and they've been helping me make my films so. so justin you for then there was joe can you just break down all the roles that you performed on the film <laughs> yes i i will uh so so i wrote it i directed it i produced it i uh co-edited it i co-sound designed it i co-mixed it and I did catering at some point, and I'm pretty sure that I'm, I mean, and I'm going to distribute it too. So you, it's, you didn't say that you acted in it as well. Oh yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes. I acted in it. I co-starred in it with my, with my good friend, Ray Grady, who's phenomenal in the movie. But, um, and like, as I say all that, that sounds really gross. <laughs> Wait, <I> <laughs> but Ray Grady wasn't your friend before you made the movie. No, 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 no. We met during the, the process and kind of just became brothers, uh, while that oh that's awesome uh, throughout the whole process yeah 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 that's but, really cool yeah i did all those roles not because i wanted to it was basically just out of necessity to get it to get it done nice so. right the american dream Indeed, <laughs> right, or, yes. the, or the filmmaker's dream <laughs> right <laughs> right right <laughs> how did you connect with ray then originally uh, so ray was like literally the second person to walk into the casting room so we we casted the film just literally I put up a breakdown and like I asked some of my buddies from film school like hey will you come in and read with these actors like I'm making this movie no matter what and this was like before I had hardly any any of the resources to make it (laughs) I just sort of was like I I just decided I was gonna make a film and I was like I'm not gonna let anything get in my way so I I had written a script and I I was confident in it and I was just like I'm gonna start casting this thing right now 
And so I put up a breakdown and Ray Grady was the second person to walk into the casting room. And what was amazing is like, I felt like, you know, cause the, the film is loosely, loosely based on my life. And so, uh, Joe in, then there was Joe basically plays a, a fictional version of my brother. And so I, I knew, I basically knew what I was looking for. I was looking for someone who reminded me like of the essence of my brother. And my brother is a very, very big, vibrant personality, uh, that is just extremely, um, charming and very magnetic. And, uh, you know, he uses those or he has used those uh, gifts for, you know, uh, questionable means in the past. And that's kind of what the whole film is about. But but Grady just immediately like had an energy that I immediately knew was was right for the role. Um, and so, like, uh, I basically ended up, you know, seeing, I don't know, 100, 150 other actors after that. And I kept comparing them all to Grady. And then at some point I was like, wait, no, I, I just have to. I have to pick somebody. And so the whole time I kept comparing everybody to Grady. So I picked Grady. So I just, I mean, you know, if you just do a Google search of Ray Grady, mm-hmm. like he's got a lot of presence online. I mean, he's got a heavy Instagram audience. Is this just, this is just some guy like, did, were you aware of him? I guess when he came in, what, what point did he really galvanize an audience? Right. Right. Yeah. So this was now about three, three years ago, like the, when we started casting the movie and, uh, Grady had already had like, uh, some early success. Like he was actually on, but, but, uh, to answer your question, no, I was not aware of him. Um, uh, it was like a spectacular find because, uh, he had just done uh, a tour with like Martin Lawrence. And so he was starting to, to get a lot of, uh, like in, in the stand up comedy world, like a lot of people know who he is and he's, he's very well known there. Um, but in terms of like audience galvanization, I feel like I got there right before, like right at the perfect time, uh, before like he started to kind of blow up. Um, and so like he was willing to, to be in my film, which was like a a major blessing. I feel like if we were casting, then there was Joe now, I probably would have missed him if that makes sense. So interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so what, how did you, like, when you decide you're going to make this movie and that you were going to get it done, mm-hmm. like, did you have any money saved or set aside for it? Like, how did you plan to fund it in the, in, from the beginning? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I, at first, I, I didn't really have a plan. I was just like, I'm going to make a movie. And that was the first, uh, that was the first, like, impetus. And I was like, I'm not going to let anybody stop me. And I, a lot of my friends had done Kickstarters throughout school to raise money for their thesis films and stuff like that. So I was always, like, interested in crowdfunding, but I wasn't sure if, if I had really the personality to do it because you've got to be – because I'm an extreme introvert and you've got to be on, like, all the time. <laughs> and uh, so at some point, uh, kind of around when I started uh, kind of flirting with casting – is when I decided I was going to do uh, a Kickstarter. And so, like, I I basically went back home to Arkansas, and I I literally made a Kickstarter video with my brother, which is kind of hilarious, because uh, my brother has zero film experience whatsoever, and I just told him what to do. I was like, okay, I need for you to hold the camera, point it over here at me. When I move to this point, I need for you to turn the, the little ring on the side to keep me in focus. And we literally like made a Kickstarter video, uh, just kind of having fun. And, uh, 
I, my Kickstarter goal was like, I was like, you know, uh, I, I'd put together kind of a preliminary budget for the movie as well. And I, I just kind of was like, I think I can make this movie for about $35,000. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I, I made $33,000 my goal because 33 is like a, my dad's lucky number. And so I made 33,000 bucks my goal. And, uh, as I was kind of like putting all that stuff together, uh, and this has been a recurring theme I've noticed throughout kind of my, my journey over the last three years is like, everybody was telling me that's a horrible idea. There's no way you can raise that amount of money on Kickstarter, like when no one knows who you are. Uh, so don't do it. And I'm a, I'm a relatively like hard headed individual. Like if, when people tell me I can't do something like that, just like really gets me riled up. So I was like, okay, if you don't think I can do it, just watch me do it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really grateful that it actually ended up working out. We ended up raising $35,000 on Kickstarter and it was just mainly, uh, like, I feel like my, my hometown really got behind me online. And like, so I, I feel like I owe like the success of it to my, to basically the people that grew up knowing me that just wanted to see me make a film. And so I feel like we got kind of had a bit a bit of beginner's luck when it comes to it, but it worked out well, great. Let's take a pause for a second. So just like your story is kind of like an adorable aw shucks story right now. And <laughs> I, I'm curious, like, what what do you attribute all the success to? I mean, obviously, Fortune with Ray Grady, um, mm-hmm. and clearly you have a lot of chutzpah, but is it were, you know, were you class president? Can you make <laughs> friends really easily? Like, are you just like super popular? Like, what do you think did this? Um, I, I think that I have a, um, that's a great question. Um, I, I've always had like sort of a, I guess a kind of a, a skewed view of myself. Cause I, I grew up like relatively, uh, I grew up in like an all white public school. Our private school growing up. Um, and so I always felt like the outsider. I always felt like someone who, who never really found my, uh, found my group of people. And so like, I guess to some degree, I think I have kind of a chip on my shoulder in the sense of like, I, over the last like few years, I feel like I've finally sort of embraced who I am. And I think that comes across as, relatively persuasive to people when I, when I start telling them, when I start sharing my dreams with people, I notice like that's when things start to happen. Cause I, I was one of the first things I, I did when Grady came into the room was I told him a story about, about my brother and, uh, we just immediately sort of, uh, bonded over that. And I basically shared how like, I'm, I'm just, I'm a little filmmaker who's going to buck the system. And like, I, I told him that I, I told him like, I wanted to make this movie on my own precisely because, uh, before I decided to make it on my own, like, uh, um, I was approached by a couple different producers who wanted to make them. There was Joe, but they wanted to make, they wanted to, to make it with a white family in, uh, in like a more affluent neighborhood. And to me, I was like, but that, that's, inherently not what the story is about and so so yeah it's it's not about that and so like I I was sort of I was sort of using that as a rallying call of like hey you know uh Hollywood doesn't want to make it the way that I want to so we're gonna do this ourselves and it's gonna be awesome and we're gonna have fun doing it 
And so I think that like I, I was able just to like galvanize a lot of people around the idea of making something with a lot of purity and a lot of heart behind it. And most of the people that I ran into were really, really open and receptive of that. So I love that. And I think just as a general takeaway, I've heard that before from other artists and it, it has worked for me in the past. Just like when you announce your plans, mm -hmm. there's a magnetism that comes with that. Um, just saying things out loud and convincing <laughs> people that it's going to happen for somehow sure. um, gets the train going. Yeah, yeah. And I and I, I also learned the the skill that I think uh was like a big game changer for me because I'm I'm a very like I try to be a very high achiever, like my you know, I, I tried to make good grades all growing up and stuff and and but that doesn't really train you for like independent filmmaking in the sense that I had to learn that you had to jump without having all of the pieces that you need. You just need one piece. And as soon as you get that one piece, you can jump. And like, I knew that, like, basically I, I realized that the whole movie kind of fell into place when I got Grady and I had like a shooting date. And when those two things happened, it was like, we have our actor, we have our shooting date. Um, and you know, I shot the film back home where I'm from. So I had access to all the locations. Um, I noticed when those two things happened and there was a date, then suddenly like the movie took on like this whole energy that sort of like swept me through it. And I was like, oh, I, I created a monster. What have I done? Uh, but generally, I, I, I think definitely jumping before you have all of the pieces is completely necessary, or at least it was for me to get the movie done. As long as you're not going to die on the street, you know, Indeed. Yeah. poor you know, and destitute. But Ulrich, this is what you're going through. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a different situation because... Um, well, because when you found Ray, you had your funds, right? You had your whole budget in place? Uh, by the time we made him an offer for the role, yeah, we had oh, okay. all of our, our funding in place. Yeah, yeah. See, I, so I'm not in that place yet. Like, I don't have all the funding quite yet, but I'm also trying to raise quite a bit more than $35,000, which is really challenging. Um, but maybe I should be taking a lesson from my fellow filmmakers and just make it for less, um, which is one, one plan that we have, you know, but, but you're right, Liz. Yeah. Things are starting to move a lot more now because I basically have just started shouting at people that I'm making this movie and sharing, I have a teaser trailer and I'm sharing it with everybody. And like, people are responding and getting back to me and like, you know, things are happening. So yeah, I think you just have to start moving. And like, I probably could have started moving earlier with this movie, but, um, I think it's all has to do with deep, but, um, I think it's all has to do with timing. And you know, I think honestly having the teaser trailer is a huge part of it. And then, and then if I knew how big, a, big of a help it's been, I probably would have done it a lot earlier and not like put it off. You know. Did you do a Ripomatic, Ulrich, or did you do like an actual teaser, of, I, like original footage? I started to do a Ripomatic, and I hated it. I thought it was the worst thing ever, and just this is like terrible. And so then, um, I never finished my Ripomatic, and then I made an actual teaser trailer that we shot in September. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and it was a lot easier to do than I thought it was going to be. And it was like something I had been toying around with doing the year I went to the American film market. Um, and I was like, nah, I don't, I don't have enough time. I'll just do it. I just won't do it. I'll just go without it. And then everyone said that I should have one when I got there, all the meetings I had, they're like, where's your teaser trailer? And I was like, I don't have one. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, then it was like a year later 
and my producer suggested it and I was like, yeah, let's do it. Fine. And you know, I wasn't going to, to AFM that year anyway. So I just did it and yeah, now I have it. And so I don't know. It's uh, it's been helpful to like just share your vision and get people excited because when they see an actual bit of footage and it looks good and you know it's it's like what I want the it's like the vision of the movie you know mo- for, for for better or for worse or like or at least mostly you know in intact and so I think that has really been helpful to yeah to, it, it to like share. suddenly becomes real to people people yeah like, whoa. You're not joking about this. <laughs> <laughs> right. I definitely had some investors who were like, yeah, like, let us know when, when it's actually happening. And I'm like, well, if you gave me your money, it would actually happen. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> and then you show them the teaser trailer and they're like, oh, you are actually not giving up and not going away. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll get back to you. <laughs> um, well, and sometimes just like asking for exactly what you want is the case too. I mean, like in all my meetings with investors, I, I remember looking back, I had an investor who had, who had approached me for my second feature and I didn't believe her. Oh, wow. And it took me months to even realize that she was serious. And then at a certain point, I was like, oh, would you be interested in investing? And she's like, yes, I've been trying to tell you this for months. Oh, that's funny. And I think it's this filmmaker low self-esteem thing that I always talk about, which is like you just are – you're not expecting to be supported. And then when you are, it's this fantastic shock. Yeah. I'm pretty sure all the people I'm approaching to invest are very aware that I, <laughs> that, that, I, that that's the idea because um, I've told them and asked them many times. And uh, I just – it's like a delicate game of being like checking in on them but like not trying to be too – like gimme 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 and being like hey so we just want to update you on what's going on and you know it's like the more reasons to update people the better and and having a teaser trailer to share is like the best way to update somebody you know uh so i want to go on to this next question like you know after funding the movie and getting it all together uh do you feel like the amount that you put into the movie was worth it was like that the right budget like should you have spent more money less money like how do you feel about where it ended up that's a great question i i struggle with this question all the time um if you'd asked me like a year ago like if i felt like it was worth it i would have been like this was the worst mistake of my whole life um (laughs) but if you if you if you fast forward to now i i I feel like it's the best professional decision i've i've made of my whole life so far um and like what i mean by that is like i i feel like you know, film school is one thing, but I, I feel like actually like making a feature on your own is like real film school. And I, and, and the great part is like, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm proud of the work that, that we did on this movie. Um, and like, and so in that regard, in, in terms of like what it's done in terms of career stuff, like it's gotten me a lot of meetings that I normally never would have ever would have gotten to have, uh, because I did this film. Um, so like it's had a lot of professional benefits and in terms of that regard, uh, but like in, in terms of the money, I, I feel like we spent it pretty well. Um, like I, you know, the, I'm happy with the money to production value ratio. Um, I, because I, I, I basically did what exactly what I wanted to do, which was to make a film on my own terms uh, the way that I wanted to make it, putting whoever I wanted to put into it. Um, and so like, for me, it was totally worth it because like, I now feel like I'm a hundred times the filmmaker I was when I made, when I made Then There Was Joe. 
Um, and so now I feel like way more, uh, ready to kind of like, uh, to make another film. And I know for a fact it'll be better cause I've just improved. Um, so I, I think it was totally worth it. Um, you know, ask me again in a year, I know <laughs> right. it, it might change, but <laughs> do you feel like since making this movie that you have a better chance at raising money for your next movie because you have this already in the bag and done? Totally. And in fact, like I've, I've already had uh, a couple of people who have seen it that have just straight up said like, Hey, I want to financially support your next film. Um, oh, and wow. that's, that's amazing. Um, yeah, man. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like at before, uh, like I said, um, like in, in our Kickstarter, uh, it was great because like people were just, uh, just supporting me because they, they loved me. Cause I, I just know a lot of people back home from where I'm from and, uh, like, a lot of films don't get made in Arkansas. So like people were just supporting me because I was from Arkansas and they, and they knew me. Um, but the great part now is, uh, Oh, sorry, sorry. And so when, when I was, uh, so after the Kickstarter, we, so we raised 35,000, but we needed like more money to finish the movie and like approaching investors was incredibly hard. Uh, because like, I don't think anybody thought that it was going to be anything. Oh, really? That makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Like I, and, and plus it's, it's like very, very difficult to show an investor, like a rough cut of a movie. Cause like most people don't know how to watch rough cuts. I, I think right. most filmmakers yeah. don't even know no how idea. to watch rough cuts, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And so like you show this thing to somebody and, and you, you're trying to promise them, no, 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 no. When we get the sound in, Oh, oh no, no, no. When we color grade it, trust me, you know? And that's really, that's a tough ask for a lot of people. And so um, it was really, really hard to come up with the rest of the money to shoot the movie. Cause I was, I was just, I felt like I, there was like a period where I was just begging everyone I knew for money to help me finish this movie. Um, and like, that's a whole nother story. Cause I didn't really get the money that I needed. So I had to like really, really, uh, improvise like dramatically to get the movie done. Um, but now, like I said, it's been like, because I made this, I do think it's going to be a lot easier. I mean, like, fundraising fundraising is always going to be super hard, but I do think it's a whole lot easier when you can be like, Hey, I've already made something, look at it. And then it's done. So when, um, before I made my first feature and this is a conversation I have a lot with uh, a lot of first time filmmakers, mm -hmm. there's this kind of phrase where we say, well, if we keep overhead low, then we're definitely going to recoup. And <laughs> you, rah, 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 rah. Right. When you were fundraising, did you have that expectation where you, just presuming you were going to recoup and that like all of this work was going to go to the end of you getting money back in your coffer or were you just fundraising to finish the film? I was just fundraising to finish the movie. Like I, I tried to be as like upfront as possible with people to be like, Hey, uh, there's you, you probably won't get this back. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just wanted to be as open as, as possible. I didn't want to try to mislead people into thinking like, you know, oh, this movie is going to go gangbusters, like, because uh, I didn't know. I, I had no idea what it was going to do. And so uh, I was just trying to be really honest with people like, hey, you know, like, I I don't know if we're going to make money on this thing, but uh, don't you want to support somebody from Arkansas who's trying to make a movie? Uh. Right. Um, and so, like, obviously that that was about you can probably expect the fundraising uh, results that I got from that. Not great. But uh, but I'm. I, that's kind of the only way I, I know how to do it. I don't, I, if I, if like whenever I, I start truly fundraising for my next film, 
Um, I'm, I'm just going to be very, very, I'm going to crunch the numbers and be very, very honest with, with it. Not try to, not try to, uh, inflate my, my balloon, if you will. So. Well, and ultimately the final budget for then there was Joe, if you're willing to share, what, what was that? Uh, it was about from like about $70,000, 70, 75, something like that. Um, by the time we were done with everything. And then did you have to pay for some of that out of pocket? Um, or were you able to, to raise all of that? I paid for some of it out of pocket. So like I, uh, it was, it was amazing. I kind of joke with my wife, like I was financially like in great shape before film school. I, I'd been working for a couple years, uh, for a church and was like, uh, basically I had zero bills. So I was just like stacking money and, uh, this movie took all of that money away. So, (laughs) right. Um, (laughs) that's what happens. Yeah. That. And like, I, I was lucky enough to get like an investment from like a close uh, family friend who just wrote me a check to, to basically keep the whole movie afloat. When um when I tell people I put money in my movie, I don't say that. I say, "Oh, there was a um, there's a mystery equity investor who put some seed funds in." <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yes, I I had one of those as well. <laughs> well, let's can we can we talk about distribution because I'm such a nerd and it's my favorite topic. Yes. Um. Well, that's <laughs> that's like the main reason. I mean, you're such an inspiration, but the main reason I wanted to get you on the show was because I feel like distribution such a, of you're about to go live with your title. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, I guess just to give a little bit of context, when you make a movie, you always talk about fielding distribution offers. And even that phrase is is sheathed in mystery. Um, how did you receive offers? Where did they come from? How did they find you? What, what, was, what was that experience like? Yeah, so I, I, I found it to be a very like scattered very strange, almost very isolating experience. So I, uh, early, like earlier during the film, I got a couple of like, while we, I mean, before the movie was even done, like I, I would get like an email or two from, uh, some distribution company I'd never heard of that was immediately offering me like an all rights deal (laughs) of like, we're going to, we want worldwide rights to your movie. Uh, here, just sign this this paperwork, and I was like, uh, I'm good. No, I'm 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 all right. Uh, so we got a couple of those. Uh, but things started to get kind of serious around like, uh, when we started doing festival stuff because I I ended up meeting a uh, uh, a sales agent at a party, and he watched my film and and really dug it, and so like he was just offering to to help me try to sell it, and uh, I was I've always been like very, uh like hesitant to sell it anyway. I know that sounds strange, but um, like, cause I, I knew no one was going to offer me what I think it's worth. Uh, and I was a hundred percent correct on that. So I basically got to, uh, I got to like what I would consider like real offers uh, for the movie. Um, and like one of them was from, uh, from a production company that like that, uh, that distributes movies that are $200,000 and under. Oh, that's very and, specific. Uh, I, I don't even, I didn't yeah. know that, that well, we're going to have to talk offline about them. Totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it was a, they said they, they distribute movies $200,000 and under. And uh, it was, it, the deal kind of started off like, like basically my, my sales agent called me and was like, Hey, we need to talk right now. And I was like, okay. So I, I got on, I jumped on a call with him and he was like, hey, we have a deal. We have two deals on the table. 
one of them is good for a week, and the other one is good for t- uh, until tomorrow morning. Wow! And I Jeez. was like, "Oh, that that feels very uh, that doesn't feel good to me." Um, and so, like the basically the for the first deal, the one that was that was good until tomorrow morning was like uh, basically uh, it was like a cash up front deal uh, for for the North American rights. And so I would get to keep the rights for the rest of the world. But um, basically, they offered me uh, like $7,500 for my movie. Um, and basically, the, the, uh, what, the, what the sales agent told me was like from their perspective, it was an urban movie without any bankable talent. Oh, my God. You use that term. I hate that term so much. An Sorry. Ur- urban and I movie? Just, and, yes. I know. I know. <laughs> this, is, this is their words, oh, wow. not mine. <laughs> It is an urban movie without bankable talent. Um, and they said it's not quite a, a comedy, not quite a rom-com. It's more a dramedy. Um, and so basically it was a flat deal for the film, 7500 bucks. I would get no back-end split. Wow. And they would have uh, my movie for, for 12 years. Uh, and they said they would put it in, in uh, on DVD in Walmart and Target, VOD, Amazon, all that stuff. Um, and that was the deal. And it was like, you have until 9am tomorrow to accept it, uh, or not. So they were not open to a negotiation, nothing. $7,500 flat for the movie for me to go walk away. And so that didn't, that made zero sense to me. So I, I said no to it. Um, and then there was another deal on the table, uh, where basically, uh, and I think I, I mistold you this Liz when we talked earlier, but, um, this this other distribution company offered me uh, a 50-50 split after they recoup their money and they were going to cap it at 10,000 bucks. So basically I, I would get paid after they made 10,000 bucks. Um and they Well, this is their they, marketing cap, right? The $10,000 to market right, the title. Right. Yeah, 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 their marketing cap. And so then after that they uh they they projected that it might do about $25,000 in sales. Uh, which I don't, I don't know where they're getting that number from. No idea. Oh, because they uh, got it from their butt, their buttholes. Right. From their butt. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is also North American only, or is this worldwide? Uh, this one was worldwide. Oh wow, jeez. Yeah, twenty five no thousand for world. Although, but, no, but that's yeah, a lot of man, money. I'm actually crazy. saying that like it's an an imaginary number that is based in no reality. Right. But it's still a large number. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, but like those were, those were basically the, the two deals and I had like a week to accept those. And the, the way it was kind of presented to me was like, Hey, your movie doesn't have anybody in it, which is a, a, a thing I hate when people say, um, but I know the business realities of not having like a huge name in your movie. I, I understand that now. Um, but like, I knew for a fact that my movie was just worth more than that. And so I would rather, uh, you know, everyone around me was like, your movie's sinking, your movie's sinking, you need to sell it. And I'm maybe I, I have a weird personality, but I'm of the I'm of the personality. It's like if it's sinking, then I'm going down with the ship. Like that's <laughs> you're going to be gonna playing the violin the whole time. I'm going to play the violin uh, and I might I might go down with the ship and then like be on top of a piece of wood, you know, saying I'll never let go. Jack. Like I, <laughs> that might be my my lot in life. And I'm fine with that. But I, I was just determined. I mean, I made the movie with, with nothing but love and passion. So it kind of makes zero sense for me to sell it to someone who has zero passion about, right. about it. So 
And then uh, what was your sales agent telling you at this time? Was Were they like, you got to take these deals. These are great oh, deals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, it was, you're it never going like, to see anything better than this. <laughs> like that exactly. kind of stuff. Okay. Exactly. It was like, bro, you need to do this right now. What's wrong with you? And, uh, you know, I get that. Like whenever there's, because there was actual money on the table. Um, but like just in my mind, it just made zero sense. I mean, I would get my movie back when I'm, I'm 31 now. I'd get my movie back when I'm like 44. Yeah. That's what? what? Yeah. And I'd have, but I mean, uh, a lot of I, uh, filmmakers don't get any money offered up front for their movies and they take those true. offers just to have the distribution. And so they can point to it being distributed and being out in true. the marketplace. And you're like, look, I'm a real filmmaker. Here's my movie, you know? Right. Which I think right. does have some value. I don't know what you guys think about that, but I feel like that seems to be a, a pretty decent well, what thing. What excites to do, me about maybe. Justin, not because Justin, this is your question to answer, but I wanted to say um, what excites me about Justin is his unwavering faith in his content. I mean, part of me, Justin, when you told me this story yesterday, I was thinking like, oh, did you make a mistake? <laughs> right, like, right. I don't know. But it, uh, you didn't because you believe in your film so much that ultimately you're going to serve it best. Right. So even if you make nine, what is it, was six seventy four hundred dollars and you net that, that's every single sale that you made. That's the data that you own. That's the audience you have loyalty with Absolutely. rather than this like unnamed agency building those relationships instead of you. For sure. Yeah. And like, I, I think the thing that excites me a lot also is like a lot of my, my, uh, distribution heroes have like built their own platforms and they usually build their own platform with their first thing. And, uh, I think that that's something that I, I think a lot of filmmakers sometimes overlook, uh, because like, even though uh, you get your movie distributed, there's something like super powerful about like, cause one of the things I don't like about, sort of just handing my, my movie off to someone is like someone else is going to sell my movie to someone else. And then that person is now in the way of me ever being able to contact that person ever again. And I won't be able to sell them my next movie because I won't know who they are. And that makes zero sense to me. And so I would much rather, uh, like quote, go down with the ship and, and sell and sell my movie on my own to my audience that I've, that I've already started building um, and make uh, deeper relationships with my audience that I can carry from movie to movie, um, not just uh, a one-off sale and then I don't ever get to contact that person again. Uh, because like there's there's just two there's an unbelievable amount of power being able to just say something directly to the people who have already told you that they want to hear from you. That's really incredible. I love that. So. I just want to bottle what you said and just like let it out constantly for people to hear. <laughs> well, this, um, this will be the podcast, back... you know, just tell them to go to this. <laughs> oh my God, I just uh, you know this mark in the podcast and then you can I just defied podcast. Right. Yeah. You're right. I'm just an idiot. Um, I want to go back just briefly, even though I know we're on a groove, but I wanted to acknowledge that like, you know, yes, you got into festivals. Yes, you had your Ray Grady. But like distributors approached you and offered you deals without Sundance, without South by, without Julia Roberts. You know, it's like I want to acknowledge that that is the reality of today and that filmmakers should know that they have way more options than they think they do. And they're not beholden to these deals that come to them. Like, how would you how do you think these people found you? Um, that's a great question. I think some people found me literally just by Googling, uh, Googling like 
what are the you know that that might might have had a might be looking for new films with uh with a lot of black people in them and they probably went to like well what i wonder what the san francisco black film festival's programming and i think a lot of people found me that way um, and then I think there are some people that literally just scan IMDb looking for new movies that or are, Kickstarter or Kickstarter. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, just looking for new movies and like they track them. And so like what, what was interesting is that like I, there, there were a couple of, uh, like different producers reps that reached out to me and it's like, Hey, what's the status on? Then there was Joe. We'd love to, you know, help you out. And producers reps, that's a whole different story. Uh, that's a different thing. Um, but like, uh, I think most of it is like how they find you is, is very, very simple in the sense of like, you know, everybody's connected now. And a lot of, a lot of things that I've, what's been interesting throughout this journey is I've realized that a lot of the things I thought were inaccessible to me are 100% accessible to me. Uh, in the sense of like, everyone is online. Everybody has an Instagram. Most people do. Most people are, you can reach people on Twitter and like we have, We've like really, really gone through, uh, um, we've made a lot of opportunities happen just by getting bold and being like, I'm going to, I'm going to DM them on Instagram and see if I can get a response. And a lot of times you can, most, most people will respond to you if they think that you're not a crazy person. So, and and what are you, what are you DMing them on, on Twitter and about what is, what are you, what is the ask just to watch your movie or check out your project or like, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. Check out my film or like, Hey, if you know anybody who has connections to, uh, you know, such and such, let me know. Uh, just like trying to hustle, trying to get my movie seen, you know? Um, like previous, like in the past, I've thought that like, oh, you just can't like email an executive at HBO, and you can, you totally can, yeah, you absolutely <laughs> can, and uh, and and also I was trying to find like like at times I was like trying to find a manager and stuff like that, and you know that you can totally just reach out to people like they they ignore you if they think that you're crazy or if they don't see a way they can help you immediately, but. And then um, what were some of the biggest film festivals that you played at? Like what were your like top top laurels that you had? Uh yeah, so we we pretty much like we didn't get nearly as much festival play as, as I'd hoped. Uh but we played at the San Francisco Black Film Festival, the uh Chicago Black Harvest Film Festival, and we're playing next month at the Toronto Black Film Festival. Awesome. Um and like I yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like the we really we really got three festival plays. Um and How like, many did you apply to, if you're willing to share? Oh, dude. Oh, my God. So many. Do you have a spreadsheet of rejection like I do? Yeah, I had a spreadsheet of rejection. I would log in, and I would change it from green to red. And and by the time we had, like, our 20th or 30th rejection, I was like, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? It's <laughs> so heartbreaking. Did, it is heartbreaking. Like, I, you know, if, if, you, if, if I log into, like, my Film Freeway account or my Without a Box account... It's just like rejected, 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 rejected. Um, you know, but that's that's pretty common. I've decided to make that my brand. Like I'm going to become if this is presumptuous to say, but I want to become the patron saint of rejection. And I'm very interested in that idea. <laughs> I think that's dope. I think that's dope because you, you I, I've definitely come to realize that rejection is very useful. And what I mean by that is like. I'd say like maybe two or three years ago, rejection used to like really bother me. It used to really, 
really, really get under my skin to the point where I was like, I can't, I can't handle this. And I would like, you know, if I got two or three rejection emails in a day, I would, I would like fold over. Oh, like, man. I can't, I yeah. can't do this. <laughs> it's um, rough. and now it's, it's, it's almost hilarious. Like when I get them, I'm like, Hey, and I just add them to a, to a, like a folder in my email inbox of like, Hey, there's one. And, uh, like, like I've gotten so many of them now that they're kind of hilarious and I, I can't wait one day to like, to stand up at the top of the mountain and be like, Hey guys, it happens to everybody. It's all good. Yeah. Well, I was talking to a filmmaker, uh, yesterday, um, Sarah Moshman and she, um, you know, she didn't get into the certain festivals that I think we all reference that we kind of hope to get into these gateway festivals. Uh, but she got a Netflix deal on her second feature and you look at these scenarios and it's like, look, Justin, you got, you know, like you're building an audience and we'll get to in a minute, but you have, uh, a larger mailing list than most people have who have or are working with like A24, oh, wow. you know? So it's like we filmmakers want to be picked because we want to be curated and we want to be embraced by a community. But ultimately, we should be looking at success in a completely different way. I agree. I agree. Wow, that that's cool. I like yeah. that. Um, well, so then what is your plan? Because I know you were on the momentum train to talk about building your own platform. And then I went backwards chronologically. Yeah, so I uh basically my goal uh I mean is pretty is pretty simple. Like I I want to build a platform with with my film. And basically what that means, I you know, those are kind of buzzwordy terms, build a platform, but like basically what that means, like the layman's term of that is like I want to build a giant email list of people that will consume my work for the rest of my life. That's my goal. And uh like I, I ended up reading a book that I, I feel like kind of changed my whole way of looking at things a couple of years ago called Your First Thousand Copies. It's by this guy named Tim Grawl, and he is a uh, a book publisher, or, or, or he, he launches, he manages book launches for like huge publishing companies. And what was interesting about it was he was talking about how... Uh, how basically when the public publishing industry kind of collapsed, they had to figure out like, what are we going to do now to, to reach people and reach them in a reliable way. And they found that email was like the most reliable way by far <laughs> to reach someone, to get their attention and to most importantly, get them to take action. And so like email is very interesting in the sense that like, it's it's a it's kind of a legacy technology. So it's not really sexy anymore. It used to be sexy at the dawn of the internet. But now the things that are sexier like Twitter, Instagram, mostly Instagram, things like that, Snapchat, that's sexy now. And it's sexy because like it's new, it's flashy, it's different, things like that. But when it comes to actual like engagement and most importantly getting people to take action, it's conversion. not yeah, yeah it, conversion, absolutely. exactly. It's not great. <laughs> Not great at all because most people are there to scroll through and see what's going on. They're hanging out there. But whether we know it or not, most of us are very, very attuned to our email inboxes. And like, even if you don't read somebody's email, you actually have to take action to delete it. You know what I mean? You have to like decide, I don't want this thing anymore, um, which is like kind of powerful. And, uh, and to me, like email, uh, like I've already seen the benefits of emails. Like, like for instance, like with, with the, with my, my email list, uh, for our premiere of then there was Joe, uh, that 
we were trying to sell 315 tickets. We sold out the entire show with one email. Wow. That's right. It's amazing. That's awesome. Which was like amazing. Yeah. Because I, I just emailed everybody the night before. I was like, hey, everybody, the tickets go on sale tomorrow. I really, really hope that you'll come out. And then the day of, I sent an email to my whole list and like basically the entire thing sold out by the next day, which was kind of amazing. And like that. Yeah. 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 And like, I have not had that success anywhere else than email. And, uh, basically whenever I want something to be seen, I email it to people. Uh, a lot of times I'll post something on, on Facebook or something and like zero people will see it because Facebook's organic reach is nothing now. Um, same. And they're constantly changing their algorithms and things like that. And it's almost impossible to really get your stuff to stand out or really to catch fire. And, what I've noticed with email, like the, the great thing about email, there's like a million benefits to email, right? So like email is decentralized, like nobody owns email. Like it's something that like nobody, it's a corporation doesn't own everybody's email. Uh, you know, when, when you get into Gmail and stuff, that's a different story. But generally e- uh, email is, is decentralized. Um, it has the highest level of engagement on the internet. Um, and what, what's most important about it is that it's permission based. So like you actually have to, like when someone gives you permission to send them stuff about what you're doing, that's very, very powerful because they've allowed you into their most intimate digital space, which is their inbox, you know? And, um, okay. Yeah. So can, can we talk that about mm-hmm. that a little bit? Just cause I, I don't, I don't have a mail list, mailing list. Um, I, I kind of do, but I don't really. And, um, but I'm curious, like, how do you start one? And like, do you just put like, join my mailing list on my website and wait to gain people tracking on there? Or can you add people that you already have like in your contacts list and, and add them to your mailing list? And then just say, if you don't want to be a part of this mailing list, just, you know, here you can unsubscribe. But, or is that like a, a thing that you don't do? Like you can't just go into your contacts and like add all your email contacts that you have in your Gmail and like start a list that way. Is that like, uh, yeah. So not what you do. So, so basically what I decided to do, I mean, like, I, I guess everybody does it a different way, but I really tried to do it to where everyone volunteered to be on my list. And so I started my list, what, maybe two years ago or so, uh, a year and a half ago. And, uh, basically I, I put a sign up sheet on my, uh, a sign up form on my website. And also I've, I've, cause I'm a nerd. I, I read about this, this stuff all the time, but basically like I put a pop-up on my website and even though pop-ups are really, really annoying, they're phenomenally effective. They're very effective. Uh, cause it just immediately gets your attention. And, um, like I, what I also try to do to kind of sweeten the deal is like to get people to volunteer, to be on your list. You usually offer something like a, like a free thing here, download my free ebook and boom, you're on, uh, and, and put in your email address and I'll send it to you. And a lot of time, you know, people like free stuff. So a lot of times if people are already kind of interested in you and then, Oh, I just give you my email address and then I get, I get something for free and then I can stop talking to you if I feel like it whenever I want to. That's pretty powerful. And so like basically what I did was like I, I did everything in my power to so on, on my on my email list right now, like I offer like a, a few behind the scenes videos of then there was Joe. And basically 
like if you sign up for my list, you get an automated email that comes to you that is like, hey, here's the teaser trailer for The Norris Joe, and here's a couple of behind-the-scenes stuff. And it kind of gets people sort of, you know, in the headspace of, like, what the movie is and, and stuff like that. And what's amazing, too, uh, about email as well is, like, um, so I use, like, MailChimp. And you can actually, I mean, you, you get access to all the data, which is amazing. So I can tell who's clicking on what. Uh, what people click on uh, analytics analytics it's it's phenomenally powerful and uh, what's great about doing it through email is you're gathering basically kind of your own internal data that you can use you know for your whole life it's uh, it's amazing I mean MailChimp also gives you I mean if you're able to track zip codes in your pop-up if you ask for zip codes you can know geographically Mm -hmm. where they are so you can host screenings and there's the locations where you get the most engagement but I just wanted to like promote Justin's newsletter quickly because it's very pithy right it's like short it's like these are three things that I like that you should just learn about this this week and I'm again, you know, Justin, tell me if I'm if I'm doing this wrong. No, no, it's but great. Like, it's great. <laughs> there's like two things that are not about then there was Joe, and then there might be one thing about then there was Joe. But it's like you don't waste people's times. You're very positive, which I think is incredibly important when you're communicating with a large group of people, and you're not you're not overly promotional. And so again, it goes back to being human, being authentic, and asking for exactly what you want you're doing that in your newsletter. So I just, I recommend it. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Liz. You're, I, and, and I actually envy, I, uh, just for the record, I envy, I'm also on Liz's newsletter and I always envy your <laughs> newsletter when it comes out because it's hilarious. <laughs> and and I'm always like, and I, I, I feel like I know you through through it, which it's is It's just great. about pregnancy. It's always about pregnancy <laughs> or like my partner who has a large head. It's something That's like funny. that. Uh, and how often do you send out your newsletter? Is it once a week, once a month? Like, what's the frequency? I try to do it every two weeks, uh, but I, like, really fell off the bandwagon this, this past time, and I think I, I went, like, a month and a half without sending something. But I try to I try to send stuff. Like, sometimes I just like to take a break as well because I'm a person, and sometimes, like, for me, it takes, it takes a lot of, like, mental energy for me to uh, – for me to – write those and put those out. And so if I just feel like I need to take a break, I will. And I, I'm just going to trust that my audience is going to be okay with that. And so no one's tracking you. No one's like timing you exactly. and saying, well, they didn't send their newsletter out today. Exactly. Yeah. And like, and, and for some reason in our brains, we're always like, oh my God, people, people are probably just, you know, stopping their work day to be like, when, why hasn't Justin sent his email newsletter? <laughs> But yeah, no, zero people do that. And so like I, and sometimes like I'm a firm believer sometimes that you got to go away so you can come back sometimes. And, uh, because I, I think sometimes we all just get overwhelmed with lots of stuff. And I, I felt like I was super overwhelmed over the holidays. Like I felt like my inbox was like, you know, the, the apocalypse, I, the apocalypse <laughs> happened in my inbox. And so at the time I was feeling like that's probably happening for other people, I don't really have much to say right now, so I'm going to take a break here. Um, but yeah, I try to I try to do it as like succinctly and as uh, um, what's I try to tailor it for how I would like to be communicated to because I, I like things to be really snappy and quick. Um, so. I mean, I, I'm sure there's more to say about email, but I wanted to get to another question, which is before we got into email, and it's just the the idea of confidence. 
And, you know, what gives you the confidence that you feel you're going to make more than $7,500 with your film? Or what gives you the confidence? What has convinced you to self-distribute? Uh, more so than the data and the access, but financially, what what has inspired you? I would say the I I had a pretty game changing moment. Like I, I I already felt like this was something I wanted to do because I wanted to. I I think I have a very sort of like hey let's just jump off the cliff and see what happens kind of personality when it comes to this kind of stuff because I like I I think I have a very high tolerance for risk. And or at least risk when it makes sense. And so uh, for me, I think what what ended up giving me the confidence was like there there was a moment where I was in where I was in our like our festival premiere screening and it was packed and there was a woman who was laughing so hard that she spilled her popcorn. Oh, nice. And I had a moment where I was just looking around the room and watching how people were reacting to the movie and they were reacting far better than I ever thought that they would. And I, I was just like, Oh, I, I have something here. I absolutely have something. And I also like, I also still find the movie to be funny. Even, even as many times as I've seen it, I still, uh, you know, the, the laugh, the laughter is more like intellectual now cause I've seen it a bunch, but I can, I can look at something and, basically because I've been doing comedy for a long time. Like I know that that works. I know that that laugh works. And so I've known for a long time that I have like, I'm very proud of, of the film and I'm, and I think it has a lot to say. And I just know that like all it's going to take is just for it to get, to be seen by the right people. And I feel like it will, it will spread. I, I really truly do. Um, like I, so the confidence kind of comes just from there, from, from me trusting my own taste, which I think is, is it's taken me a long time to get to that point. Cause I think sometimes, uh, when you're trying to figure it out, like as a filmmaker, you're, you're very concerned what other people think. And now I'm mostly concerned with what I think about it. And I, I love my film. I think it's solid. I think it's a really fun experience and, I'm determined that if I like it, there's at least going to be a million other people on the planet who feel the same way. And I may not be able to reach those million people, but I'm a hundred percent confident that if I like it, there are going to be other people out there that like it. Also, I've, there are so many like great examples of people who have kind of already done this or who have just bet on themselves. And like, they usually, they usually succeed with flying colors. Like, you know, uh, believe it or not, there was a time where nobody knew who Ava DuVernay was, and she started her own distribution company. Uh, at the time, it was called Affirm, and now it's called Array. Array! But, yeah, and she is, like, a genius. She's a, she's a genius when it comes to uh, promoting her own work. Well, and she's so, a former publicist. Let's yeah, just also give her a yeah, little bit of credit yeah, she's, yeah, she's got she's got a good foundation <laughs> to stand upon, for sure. Uh, you know, but she, she basically... I mean, she distributed her first uh, two micro-budget films on her own, which is amazing. Um, so what's your plan for the distribution? Like, Are you going to just put it up on your website for people to buy, or are you going to do iTunes and um, all that stuff, uh, uh, Amazon, and you know, get it out in the world that way through an aggregator? Like, what, what, is, what are you thinking? So what I'm thinking of doing is... Uh, Basically, I'm going to distribute it slowly over the next year. 
So the first phase that I'm going to do is I'm going to launch it to my list and my, my social media following basically. And across like my social media following, uh, Grady social media following and, uh, our Instagram following, it's about like 30,000 people that we like kind of have access to, to some degree. And so like, uh, I'm going to use my email list kind of as the, as the main way to get the word out for stuff. And I'm going to just try to uh, get every single person who has clicked like or has followed Then There Was Joe to buy it in the the, the window of a month. And uh, so that's the first phase. And, and buy it through a digital download directly from your site or buy a Blu-ray that you'll send to them? Like how, how are you trying to get it to people? Yeah, so I'm, I'm also like uh, – I'm a huge like uh, nerd when it comes to like what I, I mean. He's he's basically dead now. But Louis C.K. Louis C.K. like back in like 2011, uh, like distributed his own uh, his own work, and you know like he's obviously uh, a very shady person uh, personally. But when it comes to like his distribution prowess, he's kind of a genius. And, uh, so what he would do is just like email everybody. He, I mean, like at one point Louis CK could email about 300,000 people and say, Hey, uh, check out my, my shit. It's dope. <laughs> and he could just do that, which is amazing. So that, that's the ultimate goal. Right. Uh, I mean, not, you know, just to voice this, like, I mean, at that time he was very, very popular and very famous, you know, and probably arguably one of the most famous comedians in the world at that time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just saying like, it's, it's a, it's a little different, you know, when you're doing it on, on your own, like, you know. Yeah. But, but not really though. Uh, I don't see it different at all. And the, and the reason why is because like he had been working to build his audience for 30 years, you know, like, I mean, if I if I keep working at this for thirty years, I will get to the point where I can distribute my film to three hundred thousand people with a click of a button. Like I, I know for a fact I can do that. Like, um, and so you know, I'm 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 not saying it's going to be a crazy smashing success like that, but you know, it's it's uh right now like I I feel like I'm kind of like the Wright brothers. Mm. Like I'm just trying to get my plane up in the air for like six point five seconds, and if I can do that, um, I know for a fact that I can eventually build like an airliner that can, can travel the world. Do you have certain goals for yourself within this first month of trying to reach this, these 30,000 people? I do. Oh, I'd love to hear these. (laughs) Yes, I do. Uh, so my first, my first goal is to sell a thousand copies in the first month. Oh wait, Justin, we're Um, supposed to say you can't do that. That's crazy. And then you're supposed to raise the goal, right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, it, the second somebody says you can't do that, it's going up to 2,000 copies. That's funny. <laughs> uh, which I think is, like, totally possible. Uh, I like, think 30,000 people that you have access to and 1,000 sales is not the most ridiculous, like, ratio right. I've ever heard. I think that seems Thank reasonable, you. you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, how much a, a sale? Five bucks? Four bucks? Three bucks? So it's it's up for sale. Uh, we're gonna put it up for sale for like six bucks. Um, okay. However, like uh, where, where I think like the bulk of the revenue is gonna come is like we're gonna have like a a special edition with a like and a butt ton of of extras. Oh yeah, I could just tell from your YouTube page that you're already you know you're gonna have so many little videos and behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, like uh, which I know, love by the way. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it, it was a comedy and we had like a blast on set making the movie like 
it was crazy how much fun we were having. And I feel like the amount, like the extras are like kind of just as fun as the movie to some degree. And so like, I feel like for there, there's like a good amount of people on my list who have seen it, but, uh, like you would, if you saw the movie and you liked it, like seeing the extras is only going to make, make you love the movie more. And then there's a lot of people uh, who have just been waiting for the digital release on my list, on my list as well. And so I'm just going to give them the option. I'm going to give them the option of like, you can just watch the movie or you can watch the movie with the, with the extras and the extras will be like 10 bucks, something like that. And so that's my, let me uh, suggest if you're doing a special edition, mm-hmm. is this a special edition digital or physical copy? Uh, digital. Okay. Are you doing physical sales? Uh, so I do have a bunch of DVDs and we've sold actually about 500 DVDs. Just... Oh, you've already done the replication just because I know of a service mm-hmm. that I like to recommend mm-hmm. that does manufacturing on demand. Yeah. So it's like for the filmmakers who can't, you know, just order a thousand DVDs up front. Yeah. Um, Is that... Check out Allied Vaughn. Just throwing it out there for podcasts. Oh, Allied Vaughn? Yeah. Cool. Yes, I've yeah. heard of them. So are you planning to do more like Blu-ray or DVD or more physical stuff? Or are you focusing more just on the digital releases? I'm just focusing on the digital releases. Like we, I mean, we have a, we have like a Shopify store and the Shopify store will have the option to buy uh, the Blu-ray or the, or the DVD, which, you know, some people really like. I still love physical media. I still buy Blu-rays cause I'm a nerd, but, um, but like other people that, that option will be there, um, but that's not what I'm going to push the most. I'm mostly going to push the, uh, the the digital, the digital. Download. Right. It's also like it's a much bigger return for you, right? Like you know, sell, selling a, di- a download versus um, sure. a physical copy. I mean, you make so much more definitely back on that. Definitely, it's like it's it's great, and the and uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's fantastic. So you're so you're not even going to any of the the distribution platforms that exist for for anything. You're just doing it all completely on your own through your website. You know, direct to you you take all the the um the 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 profits basically and you don't have to worry about any third party basically yeah because like that's awesome uh yeah yeah i think it's i it's kind of insane i think for for some i don't think it would work for all movies but like um i think for for my film in particular like it's you know i i think it's a great way to build a relationship with me as a filmmaker because like i'm also in the film as well and so i it I want to sell it to people who are more uh, interested in like, uh, you know, sort of discovering a movie that they might not have seen um, because like that's, that's my personality and I kind of want to attract other people that, that think like me and kind of uh, are kind of go with the flow the way that I do. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, that's, that's basically going to be the first phase and then like, I'm just going to slowly promote it over the next year. And like, if, if the, if the streaming it from my website is like a spectacular fail and no one wants to do something with that, nobody wants to, to watch the movie that way, then I'll look at other options. But the cool part about distributing a movie on your own is I feel like, you know, most, most distributors, like if they, they'll throw your movie up and if it looks like it's not going to make any money, they yank it down or they, they pull all the marketing from it. Um, so for me, what I want to do is like, if it, if it fails spectacularly, and I know that there will be failure, that's there's no way that there won't be. Um, the cool part is like from my micro budget movie making skills, I've learned how to bounce back pretty quickly and learn how to course correct pretty quickly. And so I feel like 
uh, no matter what happens, I'm going to take every single piece of data that I learn from it, I, that I, that I get, and I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to keep trying, um, which I think most distributors don't do. Well, you'll be able to survey, uh, the customers directly. And so it's like, mm-hmm. if you're able to find a cross section of really passionate viewers that all have something in common, then you go and you do, you know, a Facebook ad targeting that audience totally. specifically, um, and then, yeah, obviously most distributors would just give up on a marketing campaign if it failed. But then you, I love that you can just pivot and try different audiences and see who are, like, do you know who responds most to your film right now? Um, it's mostly been black millennials, which is kind of a, kind of a broad, a broad niche. Uh, but like I've, I've, uh, I've done little like basically test Facebook ads where I've just taken the trailer mm-hmm. and just thrown some money behind a Facebook ad. Uh, and I've been testing audiences and like, what's amazing is like, I've, uh, you really do. You can, it feels like you can hit gold a little bit. And, and suddenly when you're, when your ad starts getting shared a lot and gets comments on it and lots of reactions, you know that you've probably stumbled upon like your people. And, uh, that's happened. That's happened multiple times with like different audience segments that I've been, uh, testing out. And so like, I'm really excited to, uh, eventually start exploring that. Like I said, my, the first, my, my first phase is I'm just going to sell it to the people who, who like, then there was Joe or, or my email list. And then I'm going to start slowly over the next year, uh, experimenting with total strangers and saying like, can I get a total stranger to, uh, how can I like basically through a series of very, highly constructed steps get them to go from a stranger to a customer so i'm looking forward to that as well so you're basically looking at like what like a one to two year plan of distributing this movie on your own yeah um and and are you planning on creating anything during this time as a filmmaker are you just going to dedicate yourself to being you know the complete advocate for this then there was joe no i'm t- i'm totally going to be making stuff like i'm i'm already working on my next film right now trying to get that off the ground oh, cool. um so it, as a feature or a short uh as a feature as a feature oh nice awesome yeah and so and then then you'll just feed it into the same system right so like exactly. when you make the next one you'll also just be like here's my next movie absolutely and then start selling that one and then you'll do the next one and then all of a sudden you'll have like you know, six movies that you'll have available for people to to buy, and then you know you'll be a, a little bit of a I don't know a kingpin. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's that's the plan because because the great part nice. that, that I love as well about like an email list is like no one can take that away from you. Right. And you know, like I we've got a we've got a huge following on on Facebook, but I've noticed that like the organic reach has has fallen to nothing. So it's like I don't really own that connection with my audience, you know. And, uh, an email is amazing in the sense of like, like if I decide to like change from MailChimp to constant contact, I can literally just download all of the emails that I've, uh, that I've gathered and just move it to a new place. Um, and like, you know, it was really funny. I found my, I found my old MySpace account cause I'm, I'm also a musician and I, and growing up before I, before I decided to pr- pursue film, I was I was in hot pursuit to be a musician, and I fa- I stumbled across my old MySpace page, and it had like, uh, I I don't know, it was like under a hundred followers or something like that. But I thought I was like, how could I ever reach those people now? I c- I can never reach them now, and those are people that expressed interest in my work, and you know because MySpace is dead, that connection is dead, but 
I mean, from if if data is is any way to sort of make decisions, like people generally, and I think also when when you get older, like people switch email addresses less. Is <laughs> you know if everybody's emailing you, it's difficult to be like, hey, don't email me anymore. Email me over here. Uh, and so like, that's, I mean, people, I mean, I've had the same email address for 15 years, you know? So. Nice. Uh, Liz, do you have any final questions? No, I have to go to a Lego two dinner. <laughs> oh, Lego two. <laughs> oh, that's right. Awesome. That sounds, that like sounds amazing. <laughs> Look for Lego two. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, thanks so much, uh, Justin, for being on the show. It's been fantastic. Hey, thank, you. thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so man. Excited. Yeah. It's inspiring, you know, to see someone just take their own, um, you know, just uh, life and and their whole everything that you like put on the line and like trying to get into a film festival, trying to get into a distributor, like your, your whole career, basically. And you're just saying, I'm going to do it myself. I'm not waiting for anyone else to give me permission and to, you know, let me do what I want to do. I'm just going to do it. And I think that's something that it's all filmmakers. Yeah, that's what we should be doing. We should be taking well, you guys. Um, ownership and control of our own destinies, you know, and it's, so to speak. So, yeah, man, it's awesome. Oh, appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on here. It's been yeah. a blast. So, where can people find you? Uh, where's your website, Instagram, all that stuff? Yeah, uh, you know what? Just go to thentherewasjoe.com. Just go there. Um, if you're interested in following me along this journey, please sign up for my email list. Um, and on Instagram, um, I am at Warren M. Justin, which is probably hard to remember. So just go to thenthewasjoe.com. Just, just nice. do that. Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show. Okay, Auric, if Justin was on the show right now, right this second, what what would you ask him, Auric? I I am like now that I've made my my first feature like I I am so interested in like people's feelings and thoughts on their features many years later like like oh like you know you made this movie it's out in the world like how how do you feel about it now and like would you approach this project any differently or do you feel like you made all the the best decisions that you could for the project at the time and you feel like it's exactly where it needs to be you know, like I, that's what I want to know because I have my own thoughts about that for my feature. And I think that would be really, really interesting to hear what Justin had to say, has to say about that. What about you? Anything you'd want to ask Justin? Well, it's been a few years since we talked to Justin. And I think what always is on my mind is I know balance doesn't exist, but the attempted balance of work and life. So I'd want to hear from him. Is he still able to kind of will things into existence with his extra energy? Is he sleeping? Is he not sleeping? Lots of questions about sleep because I am not sleeping right now. I'd love to hear just how his day to day is going. Nice. All right. Well, here it's time for another round of You're the Expert. If you're listening to this for the very first time, hopefully you're not listening to a, a throwback episode for your first episode, but you could be. <laughs> so if you are, You're the Expert is a segment that our producer Eric Toms invented where he asks us a question that he thinks that we will be the absolute experts in. So we get to read these ahead of time, although this one was just sent to us, so we haven't really gotten <laughs> to read this too much. But yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and jump in and ask the question and see what, if Liz has any thoughts. 
I'm gearing up for a low budget indie film and we feel confident we'll get some sort of distribution. Nice. How important is it to hire a payroll company? All right. I I think that it is budget dependent. I have never been able to afford to hire someone to do payment disbursement for me in distribution. I think there's also a difference between a cam account and a payroll company and different tiers of films require different things. Sometimes an international distributor requires you have a cam account and working with them. So I'm just talking about disbursement of revenue and accounting in distribution. But for my micro budget films, I have always written the checks. And that's why it's very nice to have very simple percentages. Because when you have tough percentages, it's hard to do the math when you're writing out those checks to your investors. So I would say if you're doing a micro budget film, you will probably not be able to afford a payroll company, but it is always a nice thing to get off your plate. But if you can't afford it, it is very possible for you to do it by yourself. Arik, what's your sense? So my, my movie, The Alternate, we didn't have a payroll company. We just had, we just, I wrote all the checks. We just did it out of the business account for the movie, you know, through our LLC. But yeah, I've worked on many movies where they have had payroll, you know, and I've also worked on mov- other movies where they didn't, you know, and I, I kind of feel like, yeah, it's all, it's all budget dependent. Like if you, if you have enough budget and your team is big enough where it warrants, like it's so much easier just to have a payroll company do it, then do it, you know? But if like your movie is, tiny like a 10 to 20 person crew or something around there and you know you you're paying everybody super low rate or whatever it's like yeah just do it on your own you know and and the taxes as long as you have somebody who's tax minded on your team who has experience like either was a, a lawyer or an accountant or something or has that kind of background I think that's really important. Or if you don't have that person on your team, just find somebody in your network who is that and pay them a small fee to help you because, you know, you want to make sure you're doing your taxes right and that you're like following it all in the right way. But yeah, I I wouldn't do a payroll for for a movie that's under $200,000, you know? Yeah. I mean, you could probably, but it's going to just suck up, you know? some of that very, very precious budget. So I think like once you get bigger, like, you know, half a million and over, then I think payroll makes much more sense. Although <laughs> I think I've worked on a movie that was like almost a million dollars and they didn't have payroll. So, you know, it's kind of up to you. It's like how you do it, you know? I mean, I feel like if, you're, if your budget is that big and your team is that big, you, you probably should just <laughs> hire a payroll company. Yeah. But hey, Producers make all kinds of decisions, you know, based on what they think is best for the project. But yeah, what do you guys think? Have you hired payroll companies for your movies that are under $200,000? Was it a really good decision for you? Did you really appreciate having that that support? I'd love to know. I'm sure Liz would love to know, too. So send us that or any other comment, suggestion, question, anything to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or if you really love the show, uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's called now. Or any other. I think you could leave reviews on Spotify, maybe. I'm not sure. But no, this says no. So I don't know. But if you have a chance to leave to rate us, you should. That would be great. And you can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Mickey Movies is Hard Podcast. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Reimut, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for doing our social media. And thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for just simply being awesome. Thanks to you all for listening. And we'll talk to you all on Monday.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.